Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Eric Cole, the founder of Secure Anchor Consulting, a provider of cybersecurity solutions and services. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's a privilege. So tell us about your background and the genesis of Secure Anchor Consulting. I've worked in cybersecurity for 30 years and started off my career at the CIA, where I was actually a professional hacker for eight years, breaking into various systems from computer servers to nuclear reactors. And as interesting as it sounds, believe it or not, after eight years, I got bored because what I've learned is you can always break into a system. If there's functionality on a system, there's always security risk. So I switched to the defensive side where really now at Secure Anchor, I focus a lot on strategy, helping people understand cybersecurity because everyone thinks it's super technical and it's really not, it's just high level concepts. And I also focus a lot on security assessments for law firms and also perform expert witness in a high profile breaches and intellectual property cases. What are some of the significant cybersecurity issues that law firms and law department leaders should be aware of in 2021? Most of it comes down to protecting and securing client data. Most of the times when we get brought into a law firm, it's because one of the law firm's clients are concerned about the protection or security of the data. What it really comes down to is what I sort of nickname the rule of 90%. When we see breaches occur at law firms, It's typically because there's a server accessible from the internet that's missing patches that contains critical client data that's not properly encrypted. Now, if we step back and you say, why in the world would a law firm do that? What it comes down to is they're not deliberately doing it. It's a system or server that they're not aware of. If you go into most law firms, they know about 90% of their systems. They have 90% of their systems properly locked down and patched, and they know where 90% of their client data is. The problem is, even if you're a law firm with 100 servers, that's still 10 servers that are exposed. So what we really try to do with law firms is make sure they have total visibility, they understand what systems are and are not accessible, what data is exposed, and then put together a practical roadmap to secure and protect that information. What about corporate legal departments? Corporate legal departments typically have a lot of isolation, and in the past, those servers are not always accessible from the internet. However, not surprising, where we see a lot of corporate legal departments getting compromised is with phishing attacks. It's one of those things where law firms and most clients believe the way you protect against these attacks is awareness. The problem is today, these attacks are so personal, awareness doesn't work. I actually did a user awareness session with 40 individuals at a company. Some were lawyers, some were executives, and some were just regular employees. And I told them about the dangers of cybersecurity. I even specifically told them about phishing attacks with COVID, that you're going to get emails that have a subject line that say, five coworkers tested positive for COVID. Don't fall for it. Don't click on it. I kid you not, 45 minutes after that awareness session, we sent all 40 of those people that exact email that I warned them about, and 32 of them 
clicked on the email. 32 of them opened the attachment. And if that was real, would have got infected. So the, the real challenge with corporate legal departments and any executive that's in a critical spot is you really need to separate out and use two different devices. So what I coach chief legal counsel and legal departments is have your Windows computer that you do your work on, you check documents, you do all that. But when you're checking email, surfing the web, doing the two most high risk activities you possibly can do, use an iPad, use an iPhone, use a non-Windows device. And now by separating out, you're minimizing and reducing that risk and exposure. Do you find that people who use an Apple-based device have a safer environment? It's tricky. And the reason it's tricky is if you look at the number of vulnerabilities in operating systems, whether it's Windows, Apple, Linux, or any other variety, they're all about the same. They all have vulnerabilities. They all have exposures. So this idea that Apple or Macs are more secure is not true. However, if you're an attacker and Windows has an approximate 90% install base and Mac has an approximate 6% install base and you want to compromise as many attorneys as possible, what are you going to target? Windows. So therefore, if you're using a Mac, there's a lot less vulnerabilities that would impact you. However, attackers are smart. And at least in our experience, we've seen a lot of law firms, all the attorneys are using Macs. So if that's the case, we have actually seen cases where when an adversary is trying to directly target a law firm because they have a client that they want information on, they will actually create Mac-based exploits and compromise those systems. So in a normal traditional world, a Mac is perceived to be safer because there's less attacks against it. But if you're all using that and an attacker knows that, it's not going to save you or protect you. Other than the COVID notification example you gave earlier, how has the pandemic changed the way organizations manage their cybersecurity issues? The biggest issue overall is really losing control of the endpoint. What I do is I had a friend who does IT and security for a law firm, and I asked him a question. I said, in 2020, how many new offices did you open? And he looked at me and goes, oh, Eric, we didn't open up any new offices. We actually closed two of our New York offices. We closed one of our Chicago offices. I said, really? I said, how many attorneys do you now have working from home that you didn't previously? He said, approximately 3,500. I said, so the correct answer is in 2020, you opened up 3,500 new offices that you didn't control, monitor, or audit. And it's funny because it's like, wait for it, wait. And then it clicked in and he's like, oh yeah, I never thought about that. So now all of a sudden you went from all these attorneys in an office on a network behind all of these security devices, protecting, securing, and locking them down. And literally overnight, they're now all working from home using personal computers, using personal devices, and now they've lost control of their data. So now they need to gain control of all that endpoint information. And what I jokingly say with people, with the epidemic and everyone working from home, the biggest threat to your corporation's data is not foreign adversaries, it's not organized crime. It's a 16-year-old that does TikToks, right? If you have teenagers that use your home computer and you're using that for work, you might as well throw in the towel because the probability of compromise is going to be really, really high. In your forthcoming book, Cyber Crisis, Protecting Your Business from Real Threats in the Virtual World, you provide actionable advice to help organizations increase safety and protection. Can you share some best practices for teams to follow? 
Absolutely. So the purpose of the book was a lot of people don't have a proper understanding of the threats that are really happening out there. If you watch the news, you would have the impression that maybe there's one or two breaches every year, when in reality, there's breaches happening all the time. So the first thing we try to do in this book is raise your awareness level, because in order for you to address cybersecurity, you need to recognize and understand that you and your organization, no matter how big or how small is a target, and that cybersecurity is your responsibility. So some of the practical advice we give, one is don't utilize free services. What people don't realize, whether it's Dropbox or Google Docs, there's free and there's commercial. The difference is with free, your data is the product. So you're basically telling with Google's free docs, you're saying, listen, I'm giving you all my clients information and you can use that for marketing purposes. And in return, you're going to give me the application for free. Or you can spend $79 a month and your data is protected. I don't know about you, my data is worth more than $79. So first thing is stay away from those free services. Next thing is with most of the applications you use, whether it's banking, documentation, email, or others, even commercial-based services, security is built in, but it's not turned on by default. So you need to go in and be able to turn on those services. For example, we're seeing a lot of financial fraud that are going after small and medium-sized law firms, where essentially they're socially engineering somebody in billing to approve an invoice that it looks like it came from a partner. And we've seen cases where anywhere from 100000 to $3 million have been transferred. And by the time they realized it, it was too late. With any type of bank fraud, whether it's personal or with a corporation, you essentially have 48 hours to be able to identify and notify. So one of the simplest things, if you're a partner or even with personal finances, is just turn on account notification for any transfers over a certain amount. So anytime there's going to be money transferred out of your account, personally, you might want to send it at 5000 With a corporation, you might want to send it at 75000 but you get a notification. And yes, you're getting some text messages. But now if you look at that going, wait, that doesn't look right, you're now notified early enough to be able to take action and prevent it. So it's really all about awareness and early detection. You've served as a professional hacker, as you describe it. How does that type of work improve an organization's cybersecurity profile? The idea behind doing what we call ethical hacking or red teaming, there's a lot of various names, is the idea is getting visibility into where your exposures are so you can fix them before an adversary breaks in. For example, with a lot of the big breaches that we've seen where you have 500 million records compromised, in those cases, there were servers that were accessible with vulnerabilities that the corporation didn't know about. So the idea of professional or ethical hacking is you would go in and find those vulnerabilities, make the firm aware of them, fix, remediate, or remove the exposure points. So this way you can protect the system before an adversary actually breaks in. In addition to your consulting work, you also serve as an expert witness. How have you adjusted your approach to that role in remote hearings? So far in 2020, all of my depositions switched to remote, which in some cases, I think doing a deposition remote actually gives the expert a little bit of an advantage because you have time for them to present the documents and to review the documents. And I find that you're in a more friendly setting. So I actually like that. Most of my trials have been postponed and continue to be postponed because not surprisingly, a lot of them are in California and Delaware. But I did do one virtual trial 
which was an IP case. And actually it ended up uh, being over a $2 billion verdict in favor of my client. And the real interesting thing with that was just making sure that you have a really good environment. I think before we started, you saw my lab that I set up. I have good lighting. I have a microphone, a proper backdrop. And that's a lot of stuff that I think people and experts and attorneys overlook. For example, in the virtual trial, one of the other experts did a virtual background and they didn't have good lighting. So the head kept getting cut off. It kept getting dropped. And the judge even made comments like, listen, this is way too distracting. You need to be able to fix the background. And then like in another case, one of the attorneys, I don't know if they realized it or not. For some reason, they weren't an exercise ball. So they were actually bouncing the entire time and was also sort of very distracting. So it's those things that are obvious when you see it, but if you're not used to working in a virtual environment, you're not comfortable, you don't have proper lighting and microphones, it's absolutely something that could catch you off guard and either positively or negatively impact the case. How do you see cybersecurity threats changing in the coming year? The big change over the next year is really awareness and detection. People always ask a similar question to that is, do I see the threats increasing? Do I see the attackers getting more aggressive? And the answer is no, and here's why. Right now, today, sitting here today, having this conversation with you, the attacks are very aggressive. They're breaking into a lot of organizations and they have been pretty much steady state for the last 18 months. The problem is nobody's detecting them. Most organizations or law firms are typically compromised for three and a half years before they detect it. So right now, sitting here today, there's a lot of organizations that are compromised. They just don't realize it. So I think what we're really focusing on after last year is how can we get better visibility and detection? How can we start catching the attacks sooner instead of three and a half years? How can we detect those attacks in two years one year, nine months, and to me, eventually get it down to minutes and hours instead of weeks, months, and years. So I think the big focus is a lot more on moving away from prevention and really focusing in on detection and catching the attack sooner to control the overall damage. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Dr. Eric Cole, the founder of Secure Anchor Consulting, a provider of cybersecurity solutions and services. Eric, thanks so very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.